Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Against the Law, the ancient history podcast that aims to separate historical fact from ancient fiction. If you hear this noise, that's the Against the Law gavel squashing nasty historical mistruths. Today we're talking about the alphabet. Yes, the alphabet, classified on Wikipedia as a standardised set of basic written symbols or graphemes, called letters, that represent the phonemes of certain spoken languages. The only place you'll find a bigger bunch of letters in one place is the post office. For the purposes of today, I've written this introduction using the Latin alphabet for many reasons, the primary one being that it is the only one I can read. However, there are many other types of alphabet that exist out there, so let's dip into the veritable alphabeti spaghetti of symbols that make up the delicious microwavable treat of languages. Starting on familiar territory, we have the Latin alphabet from ancient Rome, represented by our very own Xenia, who can tell us a bit more about how Romans filed their letters. Bobbing to the top of the bowl is Meg, the Alpha and Omega of all things ancient Greek. I'm hoping to learn an iota of knowledge from Meg today, and I suspect she might be able to tell us about the very origin of the word alphabet. Swelling on my palate are some Phoenician letters along with something else I can't quite work out. I'm sure now Barney's back from his travels to Egypt, he'll be happy to tell me all about the origins of the alphabet. I'm Flo, and I don't know much about the ancient world, or as it seems how to keep a metaphor going, but I'm hungry to learn more about the ancient world of alphabets. I saw something on Reddit the other day where somebody said the order in which the alphabet is is completely arbitrary and the only reason why it's ABC is because someone decided it once and that's what we have to stick with. And it slightly it, it slightly changed how I feel about the alphabet. I don't like it. Um, but how long has the ABC alphabet, as we know it, been a thing? Is it relatively recent? Uh I suppose it depends what you're calling recent. (laughs) (laughs) So in against the law terms, starting with uh, the Romans, that is, yeah, that's that's the recent end of the history that we cover. Um, But if we're talking about ABCs, um, I've got a really cool object name that's related to the ABCs. It's called... Ooh, I think I know what it is. The Abecedarium. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> which is it's like spelling out A B C D, and um, it's it means a vessel or an object on which the alphabet is written. Isn't that cool? So I can take it that it's at least ancient. Then the alphabet. Yes, the Romans probably had the the an alphabet that's closest to the one that we use today to write English and other languages that are written in the same alphabet. Um, so we have 26 letters in the alphabet, don't we? In in the Western world, yeah, in the English-speaking Western yeah. world. I'm kind of ignoring Cyrillic um, and, and <laughs> kanji and anything that I'm not really familiar with. Yeah, and also in like other Western languages, there are variations on some of the letters, aren't there? In like Turkish yeah. and Polish and Czech and things like that. And Germans throw an umlaut in every now and again, which is quite cool. <laughs> oh yeah, and they're like double S thing that looks yeah. like a B. I love it. Um, yeah, so variations on the Latin alphabet, um, but the the alphabet that the Romans used had uh, slightly fewer letters than our one. 
because they didn't differentiate between um, a V, a U and a W. They just used a, a kind of a V letter, uh, all of those sounds and it, what the sound that it makes, you know, that we would differentiate between when something is a W sound and when something is a V sound. They didn't differentiate between that in terms of the letter. It was just like in the context of the word as to what noise you would make. Um, just using the kind of V or U lettering. And it's the same with I and J. Those were like the, the same. But the, the pronunciation of Latin evolves over time. Um, and actually, you can sometimes see that happening with later inscriptions, especially um, it gets it starts to get called Vulgate Latin. And with later inscriptions, especially in like more provincial areas away from Rome itself, like actually Britain, you get latin words but like me reading it as a as a latinist as a classicist i'm like that's not a latin word that i recognize but then if i s flip some of the consonants back to how they're supposed to be then i'm like oh no that is the latin word they've just changed the letter and that's actually a direct refre reflection of how the pronunciation of the latin was changing is it vulgate latin because it's like vulgar and therefore it's like crude uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, vulgate it comes from the Latin vulgus, which which means like common or common as in popular, popularly spoken. Oh, okay. I see. And then also like with the change of how things are pronounced over the years, that happens. That happen. I'm going to shout out now to Simon Roper, who's a who's a archaeology student who has an amazing, fascinating YouTube page. But it's actually happened in English so if you listen to English um, old English it, it is like it's a completely different pronunciation but he goes through various sentences that you can hear throughout history and how that pronunciation changes so so maybe a Latin speaker towards the end of the Roman Empire would have difficulty interpreting a, a Latin speaker from the beginning yes Weird. for sure for sure and I think that's true of Greek isn't it as well Meg because I know that the Greek that was spoken in classical Athens is nothing like the Greek that was spoken, for example, in like the majority of the Roman Empire, which mostly spoke Greek, but a different kind of Greek, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got lots of different types of Greek. Um, so that, you know, my man Homer. Uh, that's a very sort of specific old form of Greek that we basically only get in the Homeric epics. And then you've got Koine Greek, which is the kind of, again, like the common Greek, Attic Greek, which is Greek in Athens. So yeah, lots of different types um, that sort of get throughout different periods of history become closer or, or more different from each other. But they're, they're all written with the same alphabet, aren't they? Yes, basically. There are, again, some minor variations in the Greek alphabet, um, but base, and also it changes over time um, as... Latin, Latin alphabet does, right? There's some random kind of additions. Uh, but yeah, basically they're all spoke, uh, they're all written with the same alphabet. So where do we get the word alphabet from? Hello. Hello, oh, Greece. Hi. Oh. <laughs> hi, Flo. How you doing? Um, we get it, well, we get it from Greek, but they got it from somewhere else. Um, so me and Barney are going to have a fun sort of tag team situation here. The word alphabet comes from the Greek letters alpha and beta, um, which are the first two letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, and that's where we get the word alphabet. But the Greek alphabet was borrowed from Phoenician, um, which is a Semitic script. Uh, and the letters um, alpha and beta are borrowed from, Bonnie, you might want to jump in and correct me here, but Alep and Bet, which I think are also the first two letters of the Phoenician alphabet. 
um, and they mean alat means ox and bet means house. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, it depends which language you're talking about because obviously yeah. it will change um, the pronunciation. I think some sometimes they've just reconstructed like the root because um, so the the Akkadian has the same word which is alpu alpum for alep or mm-hmm. alef or alpha it's all the same word different languages uh yeah which as you say is ox uh, and then the next one is um bet or bait like house um which i think um i think there are plenty of place names around the world with that still have beat in it like betamon which just mm-hmm. means house of that place so it's still a fairly recognizable word oh cool I was just going to ask Bonnie about, um, so alpha in Greek represents the letter A or R, but um, like the vowel, very similar to where we get English A. But I think, is this right for Phoenician, for those sort of Semitic languages, it represents in fact a sort of guttural, glottal stop sound. Is that right? It's a stop. Yeah, it's, it's a, a stop. stop. Okay. Yeah, it's, it looks like a, the IPA is the little, it looks like a sickle. Yeah. I've got another question for you, Barney. In terms of where the letters get their origins from, so we've said ox, is that because um, the icon of, like, as you wrote it down, did it look like an ox? Is that why it's called that? Yeah, basically. So you can still see a hangover from this in English today in the capital A. Um, If you turn it upside down, so you've got two prongs at the top and a triangle facing downwards, that looks like the face of a bull what that's so cool yeah wow are there any any others like that uh yeah i suppose a capital b if you make it sort of more linear and non-rounded could be two rooms in a in the like bird's eye view of a house Mm. yeah so um yeah so basically you have to keep pulling the pulling the strands here to go back because we've gone from Latin to Greek, then to Phoenician, and the Phoenicians had adapted their um, script from somewhere else, um, which is a speculated um, script called Proto-Sinaitic or Proto-Canaanite. And then they had in turn adapted it from, drum roll, (laughs) Egyptian hieroglyphs. So it all goes back. Um, And the idea being that there was a group of people living um, in the Sinai Peninsula, um, which is northeast Egypt, between Egypt and Israel and the southern the southern end of what is now Israel. Um, And they knew Egyptian hieroglyphs, uh, but for whatever reason, decided to make a simplified writing system for Mm -hmm. their language, uh, which was not Egyptian. And so they adapted the hieroglyphs. They took out all of the complicated extra features that Egyptian has um, and just ascribed one symbol to one sound. Um, and that's how, that's how we started off with the alphabet. So uh, that's it. <laughs> Basically, it goes, <laughs> you can trace it all the way back to, to Egyptian hieroglyphs, which is pretty awesome. From what I remember from primary school, it, hieroglyphs fit sometimes, especially if it's a name within like a tied chord symbol um and like the way that hieroglyphs are written it's not always linear sometimes things are stacked on top of each other in in the western world with our uh, abc alphabet we tend to write from left to right don't we unless you're me when i was at primary school if i wrote with my left hand i'd write left to right and if i wrote with my right hand i'd write right to left which is a bit strange what was it like back in the day it depends, really. Um, 
yeah. depends on the language. Um, Akkadian, for example, the language of Mesopotamia, was written left to right as well. Greek is left to right, but Phoenician, which the Greeks borrowed their alphabet from, was right to left. So that can be a bit confusing. But the, uh, some places in the ancient world, including Greece, also had a sort of directional writing system called Boustropodon. Um, which I love so much, <laughs> and I think we should bring it back for fun. Um, and boost, it comes from the words boost meaning ox and strophe meaning turn, which is like what we get apostrophe as well, strophe. Um, and boostrophodon, it's based on this idea of how an ox would plough a field and turn at the end. So you write, say you start in the left-hand corner, you'd write left to right, and then you'd turn at the corner and you'd go right to left and left to right and right to left <laughs> and like, like imagine you're ploughing a field um and they and the, the the direction of the letters would reverse as well i love how it's so linked to agriculture that's really cool mm. yeah isn't that lovely it is lovely i'm gonna start writing my essays like that <laughs> i've got a bit of a full circle thing with with the whole um left to right right to left thing um so the I didn't quite tell the full story of the Latin alphabet before. Um, it comes, the Romans got their alphabet from a completely different language and writing system called Etruscan. But the Etruscans got like, so they had had their own language, which is completely unrelated to any kind of Proto-Indo-European language. Um, it's totally unique to the Italian peninsula. But in order to write down their language, they decided to adapt the system from the Greeks, who, as we've heard, have adapted it from the Phoenicians. <laughs> and so they, but they wrote their alphabet uh, and, and their language um, right to left. So it's clear that the Romans adopted the writing system, so like the letters that the Etruscans used, but then arranged them in the same order that the Greeks did. Mm. And then that Roman way of writing, as, as the Romans kind of militarily conquered the rest of the Italian peninsula, that then became the dominant form of writing. Oh, that's so interesting, because again, that's what the Greeks did. They took the right to left Phoenician yeah, and, and, and put it left it. to right. Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> You've got to put your own stamp on these things, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a practical reason why that happens. So, for example, if you have a group of people who stamp words into clay, that's less likely to be rubbed out than maybe other ways of writing things down. I wonder if that's any kind of link. Because most people are right-handed, aren't they? Yeah, I don't actually know what what uh, makes the decision between left and right. right. I think there's sort of debates about it and how it links to writing technologies as well like you say, with, you know, linear or cuneiform writing. Yeah, cuneiform, you have to write right-handed, more or less. It's not really an option because of the shape of the stylus. You would be writing the signs the wrong way around if you switched your hands. Oh, that's cool. But cuneiform is not an alphabet, is it? Uh, no, cuneiform is a, has a syllabary, um, which is a lot of syllables instead of individual um, phonemes like you have in an alphabet. So cuneiform has hundreds, maybe thousands of signs, um, which is why it lent itself to simplification later in time, because there were a few cuneiform alphabets that came about later on. But yeah, cuneiform itself is unfortunately not 
So what is an alphabet then? If if cuneiform is not an alphabet but it has characters, what makes an alphabet an alphabet? My understanding is that an alphabet technically is where the symbols represent the phonemes. So like the sort of smallest unit of sound. Whereas in like a syllabary, um, the symbols represent syllables. Yep. That sounds pretty spot on to me. Perfect. <laughs> and then to get more complex, there are systems which use logographs, which represent their words and ideas or other um, bits of semantics in symbols, basically. So I think you, we have something that might be similar to a logograph in English. I think I've mentioned this before, um, or in, in the way that we write numbers and currencies, because you read a pound sign as meaning pound. Mm. And then a hundred pounds. What yeah. are emojis? Oh. Are emojis hieroglyphs? No, that's a huge against the law. I think that's the sort of thing that gets um, <laughs> Egyptologists furious. <laughs> because emojis don't encode any grammatical meaning necessarily. Like, it's quite difficult to um, do verbs with emojis, for example. Oh, Barney, if I was sent an eggplant emoji, I'd immediately infer like, a lot In of what tense, though? In what tense, flow? <laughs> <laughs> well, right, okay, put it this way. Um, I could do a clock emoji, a soon emoji, and an eggplant emoji, and a peach emoji, and Ooh. whoever receives it knows exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so that's like a future tense, or is it? It might even be a sort of conditional or a, an optative, which is in Greek is like a what you're hoping for. <laughs> I could honestly, I could omit the soon emoji and the peach emoji, and it would the meaning would still be clear. The meaning would be clear, but not the the grammar of what you're saying necessarily, right? There's it, it, the fact that it's open to interpretation makes it difficult as a reliable system for language. So are they? Does that mean emojis are pictograms? Yeah, I think that's... Yeah. In Linear B, which is an early, an early Greek writing system, I think that... The, I, don't, I don't want to annoy the Egyptologists, but I do think, having been reading about Linear B's ideograms, I think they're not that different from emojis. They're kind of... They're in addition to a syllabic um, script. So Linear B has a syllabic script where symbols represent syllables, so you can write in that and you can do sentences and grammar and all that jazz, and then you kind of uh, add in, for, for extra information, you can put an ideogram of like a vessel or a person or a bit of furniture. Um, so I kind of, I feel like that is possibly comparable to the way that we use emojis sort of in addition to normal writing. Yeah, I agree. I think they complement, they, co they can complement English, right? If you were writing a sentence in the Latin script and then you replaced, you know, something with a with an aubergine <laughs> people would <laughs> people would be able to understand what that meant it's when it's rendered entirely in yes. emojis that things become a little more difficult yeah. but all this talk about um symbols and uh, their relation to sounds and language um does allow us to get into one of the most fundamental concepts like in the invention of written language and how you render speech uh, in a you know text-based form, uh, which is called the Rebus principle, um, and it's a really important development from just using basic pictograms to actually rendering language. The Rebus principle is when a concept or an object um, can be used to represent a similar sound in that language. So, for English, for example, currently we could use a picture of an eye uh, to represent the first-person pronoun I, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so this is how you get into logographic writing from writing not existing at all. Um, and there are many examples in English that we can think of, like saw, like an image of a saw, the tool to be used for saw as in to see in the past tense, or like uh, a picture of a deer, the animal a deer, for something that's dear to you. And so once you begin associating um, images of real world things with particular abstract sounds in the language, then you can get away with having to literally depict everything and start approximating the way that your language sounds in symbols. Yes. Yeah, that's so cool. So once you make the leap from kind of being like, I'm going to draw a, you know, box, and that's my symbol for box, once you start being like, I'm going to use something else. That's like some of those quizzes that you get sometimes where it's like you have to work out the catchphrase or the film title from different pictures that might either represent something to do with that film title or sound similar. Yeah, it's like written down charades, isn't it? But yeah, like in that instance, I think even as you described there, Zenia, you might see a film title done in like a symbolic description of what happens in the film or like literally literal renderings of the title in pictures. But then you could also do the, yeah, sounds like style of thing, um, which is the rebus principle. I love that. Where does the word rebus, where, where, what does that mean? I think it's Latin. Yeah. The Latin from a thing, right? With or by the thing. By the thing, that sounds about by right. Okay. Yeah. Right, like the sound by the thing. Nice. I thought I, I, that was, would have been my guess for what it was, but I wanted to check it wasn't like named after a man called Max Rebus or whatever. I was thinking Derek Rebus. <laughs> <laughs> um, great, great guy. <laughs> If you're enjoying the podcast so far, why not support us on Patreon? Our different support tiers can get you merch, shout-outs, and even personalised content. If you want to hear more from Against the Law, find us on Twitter, at Against Law, and we're on Instagram and TikTok. Search for at Against the Law Podcast. Um, Meg, I've got a question for you. So the letters that I'm most familiar with in the alphabet sound really Greek. So they're like, like in terms of, what do I mean? In like science class, you say alpha, beta, omega, mm. gamma, right? Mm. So why is the alphabet called alpha, beta or alphabet and not like alpha, omega or betom <laughs> or like ombet or whatever? The ombet, I love that. Um, well, it's just because they're the first two and there are other systems, you know, other sort of uh, ways of writing that have different names. So an alphabet, as we said, is like technically that's um, a system where symbols represent the sounds um, and alpha and beta are just the first two letters. Um, but you're right, we do use lots of Greek letters in other contexts, um, like science and, yeah, science and sort of linguistics and that kind of thing. So they, are, they have become a bit widespread. Um, but you also get, as well as alphabets, you get things called abjads. I don't know if you want to jump in, Barney, because I think you probably know more about this than I do. Yeah, so an abjad is an alternative writing system to an alphabet, um, which only has consonants, no vowels. Um, so Arabic is, has an abjad, for example. Um, and the reason why that's called abjad is because of the first uh, few letters as well. So in the same way that alphabet is just the first the name of the first two letters strung together um in arabic you have uh alif bar jim dal 
as the first four letters, which is how you get Abjad. And it's a completely new word. It's it's a neologism from the 90s, actually, mm. Abjad. Um, although it, it describes something that's existed for hundreds of years, obviously, um, that, that word was only invented. So I think the way that the word for alphabet is formed probably informed how the name Abjad got its sound. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that thing Xenia mentioned earlier, the abacedary, that's very similar, isn't it? Like abacadda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. And there's another one. There's another weirder one as well, um, which is also just formed in a sort of descriptive way of what the writing system is, which is an Abu Gida. Um, and the reason why Abu Gida sounds a little bit different to Abjad is because Abu Gida describes a system which is based in syllables, um, like uh, like um, Gez, the Ethiopian language. Mm. Um, so you can hear in Abu Gida that they're all syllables, not just sounds. So it's B U. G-I-D-A, hence Abu Gida. Amazing. I've got a question for you all, and it, and it might be a little bit deviating from the alphabet itself and more into cultural and society questions. But I presume, because we've talked a little bit about, about sort of classes and the different access to education, I presume that the average person might actually not even know their alphabet. Like, they might be wandering along in ancient Rome and see a sign that says Carve Canum and they're like, oh, that's a nice selection of letters that I don't understand and then get mauled by a dog. Um, like, I, <laughs> would, would people have known their alphabet or was it taught only to people who are getting a proper education? Oh, so this is a fantastic question about literacy in the ancient world, which is super important. So, um, when we had our episode on school, we talked about how a lot of the time a full education was reserved only for elites. But as we can tell from like graffiti evidence uh, and just from the kinds of communications that were on buildings or shops or streets or um, menus even, people must have had a general fairly basic level of uh, of literacy um now in the roman empire it gets a bit um tricky because well latin was the language of rome itself and the language of the administration actually most people spoke greek so you're much more likely to find inscriptions in greek in the wider roman empire um than you are to find them in latin or there'll be There'll be bilingual inscriptions. There'll be um, like, a, especially if it's an official thing that's trying to be communicated. There'll be the the Latin version, which perhaps only highly educated officials would have been able to read. And then you have the Greek version, which more people from that province or that area would have been able to read. I think it's also partly about kind of what you're using language for, isn't it? So like Linear B, which I mentioned earlier. Um, is a, an early writing system from about kind of 1600 to 1200 BC um, in, in Greece. Uh, and that's, it's pre the sort of the Greek borrowing of the Phoenician alphabet, it exists before that. Um, and that the evidence we have for that is mainly sort of tablets inscribed with like lists and inventories and sort of, you know, I need three pots by Monday kind of thing. And that's the one I mentioned earlier where you've got both syllabic scripts and uh, we've got a syllabic script and ideograms. That you would have you know three pots <laughs> i need three tripods right you know um so 
that is very much it's a writing system that's being used we don't have evidence of it being used to kind of write poetry or even narrative prose that doesn't mean it definitely didn't happen but it just means this evidence that survived to us is um people using it in the sort of professional world rather than for leisure so that gives us some kind of information about why people use language um which again definitely relates to that question of who could who could write who could who could use written language yeah i've heard that argument before of like language arose or written languages arose out of the need to have accountants or like <laughs> yeah. accounts of numbers of sheep etc because I think this is in Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens he talks about how like the the human brain has a wonderful capacity for um, retaining information in the form of stories but actually our brains aren't usually particularly well wired towards numbers and so when it comes to processing lots of numbers and remembering them we need a little bit of help we need to write them down mm. yeah exactly and those ideograms that i mentioned earlier you can use them that there were lots of different ones for th really specific things like a two-wheeled chariot or a three-wheeled chariot and you think why do they need two separate things for that if you're writing a poem you might not need that but if you're saying well i need two three-wheeled chariots and one two-wheeled chariot by wednesday you would need to kind of get down to that level of detail Yes, and as, as Xenia said there, that need for accounting, I think, is often used to explain the earliest use of proto-cuneiform, um, which could arguably be the world's first writing system. Uh, because, yeah, basically, originally, um, proto-cuneiform was just used to count agricultural things, um, which is why you just have little pictograms and numbers, basically. So I think, as we've already said, like a number of sheep. Um, and only later, when you get the Rebus principle coming in, do you start to get um, language being encoded fully rather than just lists, basically? I do love the idea that, like, just, I don't know, I, I've got the raw materials to turn this into a joke, but I don't know how to turn this into a joke. Just, just like the idea of the birth of writing was like, buy milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the desire for a shopping list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we do favourite things? Yes, I think yeah. so. So <clears throat> I think uh, we've had our nice lesson today in all sorts of grams, logograms, uh, strippograms, eggplantograms. And um, I, I think uh, it's time for us to have a reflection on our favourite things from today. I'm going to dibs in with mine first. Mine has to be, um, just because it's novelty, the capital letter A, if you flip it upside down, it looks like an ox, which is where its origin is from. So it's a nice little reminder of where it comes from. I think that's quite cute. Um, how about you, Barney? What was your favourite thing today? Uh, I've got to hand my favourite thing today to Meg with uh, the Boustrophodon uh, writing system of going right to left and alternating backwards and forwards because that is just so wacky. <laughs> It is so, like, why? Why would you do that? There must be a reason. I love it. Meg, so what was your favourite thing that you've learned today? Um, well, I'm going to boost Strophodon round the corner back to Barney because my favourite thing was his explanation of the rebus principle. I think that's so interesting, um, that kind of really early insight into how we start writing. Definitely. And Zenia, how about you? What was your favourite thing? My favourite thing has got to be Linear B. I just, I love the idea that 
people started writing because they needed to make lists. I think that's hilarious. Excellent stuff. Well, we've started at A and now I'm uh, going to zoom straight through to Z. I'm going to have a nap straight after this this podcast. So thanks for joining us. Wait, can I just say the last letter of the Greek alphabet is Omega. So we should probably end there. That's big O, Omega. Big O. Oh, how did I never make that connection? Oh my God. Omicron, little O. Is it? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my, that's, I've never. Wait. <laughs> that either. Such an idiot. Micro no. O. Yeah, like a Nissan <laughs> Micra. <laughs> okay, that, that's going straight up to my favourite thing. <laughs> I want it. Right at the last minute. Right at the last minute, Meg's coming I'm in. I'm snuck so in there play. with a great fact. <laughs> the last minute goal. Yeah. I'm gonna now. Amazing. I'm gonna snore in Amigas now. So lovely. That's, <laughs> that's your fault, Meg. Right. Catch you next time. <laughs>